0: Welcome to Puritan's Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors and biographies. Today, episode 15 of The Life of Christ in the Soul by Henry Scougal. We must do those outward actions that are commanded. When we have succeeded in restraining our sinful dispositions and if our natural appetites and inclinations toward holy things, are in some measure subdued, we must proceed to perform such exercises as have a more immediate tendency to excite and awaken the divine life. First, let us endeavor to perform those duties that religion requires us to perform conscientiously and to which we would be inclined if the desire prevailed in our souls. If we are unable to change our inward disposition immediately, let us at least try to regulate our outward behavior. If our hearts are not yet inflamed with divine love, let us nonetheless honor our allegiance to his infinite majesty by attending worship, listening to his word, speaking reverently of his name, praising his goodness, and exhorting others to serve and obey him. If we desire to have the sincere love and heartfelt compassion that we ought to have toward our neighbors, then we must not omit any opportunity for doing them good. If our hearts are haughty and proud, then we must work at developing a humble and modest demeanor. These external performances are of little value in themselves, yet they may help us to make progress toward better things, the apostle tells us that bodily exercise profits us little, but he does not say that it is altogether useless. It is always good to be doing what we can, for then God is inclined to pity our weakness and assist our feeble endeavors. And when true love for others and humility and other graces of the divine spirit come to take root in our hearts they will exert themselves more freely and with less difficulty if we have become accustomed to express them in our outward conduct. We need not to fear that others will think us hypocritical when perhaps our actions outstrip our motivations because they result from a sense of duty. Our purpose is not to appear better than we are, but rather that we may become so we must endeavor to perform internal acts of devotion and charity. Since inward acts of devotion have a more immediate influence on the soul to mold it and create in it the right spiritual temperament, so ought we to be both frequent and conscientious in such pursuits. Let us often be lifting our hearts toward God. And if we cannot say that we love him above everything else, let us at least acknowledge that it is our duty and it would be our happiness to do so. Let us lament the dishonor done to him by foolish and sinful men and applaud the praises and adoration that are given to him by the blessed and glorious company above let us resign and yield ourselves to him a thousand times to be governed by his laws and disposed to his will and pleasure. And even though our stubborn hearts should recoil and refuse, yet let us tell him that we are convinced that his will is always just and good. Thus we will desire that he should do with us whatever he pleases, whether we are willing or not. Likewise, so that we might have created within us a universal love toward all men and women, we must frequently be praying for the happiness and blessing of everyone that we encounter. And when we have done anything for the relief of someone in trouble or anguish, we ought to follow it up with earnest desires that God would take care of them and deliver them out of all their distresses. Thus, we should exercise ourselves toward godliness. When we have begun to employ the powers that we have, the Spirit of God will surely move in us and elevate these acts of the heart beyond the level of being merely natural. He will transform them into something that is, in essence, divine. After frequently repeating such actions, we shall find ourselves even more inclined performing them and they will flow with even greater freedom and ease contemplation and meditation are great instruments of religion there are two other means for nurturing the holy and divine temperament that i wish to mention in this discussion the first is a deep and serious consideration of the truths of our religion both as to their certainty And their importance. The assent that people usually give to divine truths is very faint and half hearted, weak and ineffectual. It stems only from a blind inclination to follow the religion that is currently in fashion, or from a lazy indifference and unconcernedness as to whether religious truth is indeed either certain or important. Men are unwilling to quarrel with the religion of their country, and since all our neighbors are Christians, they are content to be so too. However, seldom are they at pains to consider the evidences for Christian truths or to ponder the importance or consequences of them. Thus it is that their affections and practice are so little influenced by them. They're spiritless and Paralytic thoughts, as one might rightly term them, are unable to influence their wills or direct their actions. We must therefore endeavor to stir our minds toward serious belief and firm persuasion of divine truths and a deeper sense and awareness of spiritual things. Our thoughts must dwell on divine truths till we are both convinced of them and deeply affected by them. Let us urge ourselves forward to approach the invisible world and fix our minds on immaterial things till we clearly understand that they are not dreams. No, indeed, it is everything else that is a dream or a shadow. When we look round about us and behold the beauty of this world, the order and harmony of the whole creation, let our thoughts soar toward the omnipotent wisdom and goodness that first created and now sustains it. When we reflect upon our own nature, let us remember that we are not merely a piece of well-organized matter, a curious and well-contrived machine. No, let us remember that there is more to us than flesh and blood and bones. There is the divine spark capable of knowing, loving, and enjoying our Maker. And even though for the moment it is encumbered with the frustrating companionship of our human flesh, before long we shall be delivered from this state to exist without this body in the same way as we can throw off clothes at our leisure. Let us often center our thoughts away from this world, this scene of misery, folly and sin. Let us raise them toward that vast and glorious world whose innocent and blessed inhabitants find eternal solace in the divine presence and who know no other passion than unmixed joy and unbounded love. And then, let us consider how the blessed Son of God came down to this lower world to live among us and to die for us, that he might bring us a portion of that same happiness. Think how he overcame the power of death and opened the kingdom of heaven to all believers. Now that he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, he is no less mindful of us, but receives our prayers and presents them to his father. Daily he is visiting his church by the influence of his spirit as the sun reaches us with its beams to be a channel of divine love we must consider the excellence of the divine nature the serious and frequent consideration of these and other such divine truths is the most proper method to foster the lively faith that is not only the foundation of religion but also the spring and root of the divine life. Let me suggest some particular subjects for meditation that will help to grow religion's several branches. First, to inflame ourselves with the love of God, let us meditate on his nature as well as his love and kindness toward us. We know very little of the divine perfection. And yet, even the little we know... Ought to fill our souls with admiration and love, ignite our affections, and create a sense of wonder. For surely, we are not such creatures of sense that we are able only to respond to things that have their impact upon us because we see them. The character of a fine person we may never have seen may captivate our hearts and make us greatly concerned with his interests. But what is it that holds our attention upon those with whom we regularly have conversation? I cannot think that it is merely the color complexion of their face or their other physical features, for then we would fall in love with statues and pictures and flowers. Outward appearance may delight the eye a little, but would never be able to prevail so much upon our heart's if a deeper reality were not also present. We either see or sense some greatness of mind or vigor of spirit or sweetness of temperament that charm us and commend our love. Now these admirable qualities are not obvious to our sight for the eyes can only discern the effects of them. But if it is our understanding rather than sight, that directs our affections, then certainly the perfections of the divine nature, traces of which we cannot help but identify in everything we see, would not fail to capture our hearts if only we would give them serious consideration. Should we not be infinitely more invigorated by thinking of the almighty wisdom and goodness that fill the universe and are displayed in every aspect of creation? Shall the same providence that established the created order and keeps the world from chaos and ruin not stir our minds to have an interest and desire for him, much more so than the faint shadows of the same qualities that we meet in our fellow creatures? Shall we admire the fragmented images of a stained, imperfect picture yet never allow ourselves to be affected by a vision of the original beauty? This would amount to inexplicable stupidity and blindness. This concludes episode 15 of The Life of Christ in the Soul by Henry Schugel.